Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening, Rifters. This is Rifts and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast where we go through the many 5e books and talk about various rules that enhance your gameplay experience. I'm Nathan, the Dungeon Master of Riftwake. And I'm Remy, a player on Riftwake and a Dungeon Master myself. Today's topic is monks. So, monks are actually a rather interesting class to me. They're one that has a lot of really cool abilities. However, before I even get into all of that, I want to actually start with a bit of tangent about the lore around monks. So there's a somewhat odd thing that I tend to see a lot in D&D games utilizing monks, which is that they have a very, very specific lore behind them that monks are trained in monasteries and follow like the kind of you know movie wuxia style combat action movie style of monks like in terms of the actual like history of them and how they're trained and all that but even though that's what's written in the book most people don't actually play them that way they're mostly played as just people who really really like punching shit and that's just a kind of odd dichotomy that I notice in that a lot of dungeon masters don't even really include monasteries as part of their world building for the most part. Most players never really talk about a monastery that they come from for them where they got trained or even, you know, their master if they were trained as an apprentice. There's just a kind of odd thing in D&D of even though monks are really popular as a class for the abilities they have. Their history is really glossed over a lot. And I just find that to be an interesting but odd fact worth commentating on. So something to think about if you're using um, Monk as your character or have a monk in your game. Something to think about. Yeah, um, about that. I I think that monks definitely are rather the odd one now, especially due to the fact that very often um, in fantasy... It's 
Western fantasy, typically, especially in regards to D&D, it's about Western fantasy. So one does not instantly think of the monk. And because the monk is traditionally something more Eastern, but there's a couple points that you can take from how these uh, certain fighting styles come about. So the reason why martial arts is a thing is because people who, typically peasants, who don't have um, access to weapons and stuff, they need to learn how to defend themselves without weapons. And this this is what, how these kind of kinds of things happen. And I, I, I can see it being as that kind of thing that if you were to go and take the idea of monks being this more spiritual idea and ha- and t- transfer it over to these people who are who instead of training in a specific thing like weapons and stuff perhaps due to some tragic backstory or maybe due to being too poor to get their hands on something like that and um, going that route where they train their body to basically be able to do the hits really fast and be cool cool like that i i can definitely see it as being a sort of Thing that you could twist towards a more Western angle without having to introduce certain Eastern aspects such as monasteries and such. And honestly, in a world like D&D, where there is a far more literal power imbalance between a person with, you know, levels of fighter, levels of rogue, whatever, then, you know, the peasants, if you have a people who are completely powerless in the face of these monsters of humanity it could very easily be argued that there would be people who would undergo just rigorous training of their bodies to try to protect themselves in such a world from you know evil people as well as the many many monsters that are literally out there just waiting for an opportunity so to have just that different play on what makes a monk a monk is very much something that you can choose to do. So that being said, let's dive into the actual mechanics of monks. So they are a really fun class that has a unique way of how they use magic, and that is through the magic of key, sometimes also called chi, but they use the K-I, not C-H-I spelling in the Dungeon Master's Guide, so that's the one I'm going with. And that annoys me, because as someone who is able to speak Chinese, I know how it's actually pronounced, which is C. And uh, that that's my, my note for today. <laughs> uh, I am somewhat sorry, but blame wizards, not me. I'm going with the Dragon Ball Z pronunciation. <laughs> oh, that actually is worse. I felt a little bad saying that. <laughs> All right. Anyway, I love DBZ. But what makes key particularly interesting. So monks don't start out with it. They unlock it when they get to level two. So very, very quickly in game. But then as you level up, you have an amount of key points equal to your monk level. So level seven monk, seven key, 12, 12, etc. But what makes it much different in terms of just then spellcasting in comparison is that a monk regains all of their key with a short and long rest, which means that especially as a monk gets higher level, they can have, you know, by max level, 20 key points that they will regain every short rest. So the fact that they have various, various versatile abilities to use their key for 
makes monks an extraordinarily flexible character and the fact that they can just spam their abilities in and out of combat does give them honestly a lot more flexibility than most will give them credit for than just their abilities to punch things although to be fair they are very very good at punching so that being said monks are a dexterity based martial class meaning that they are generally going to be up close and personal in melee range so what makes them rather interesting is that as soon as you have one level of monk which does mean that if you're building a monk or even if you're multi-classing and just decide to take one level in monk at level one you get two very very useful abilities so the first being unarmored defense, which is similar to a barbarian in that when wearing no armor, but for monks with no shield also, your AC, instead of just being 10 plus your dex, is 10 plus your dex mod plus your wisdom mod as well. So the fact that a monk has no armor proficiency, but really doesn't need one because your dex is going to be good because that's your attack ability and your wisdom is what is the source for a lot of your other abilities that I'll get to shortly. So those two stats ought to be pretty decent. So a monk is very likely to have a respectable AC, and the fact that you can get that with just one level of monk is rather interesting. So that is would be extremely useful for, say, someone who's a druid could decide to take a level of monk and then get their dex and wisdom, which is pretty probably good. A cleric could use that if they have a decent dex and wisdom. There's a lot of multi-classing flexibility with the monk just for that feature. Plus, the big one, martial arts. So you talked a bit about kind of the historical side of martial arts, but the mechanics of it are extremely powerful, which is that for anyone with a level of monk, you can use dexterity instead of strength for the attack and damage rolls of your unarmed strike and monk weapons. So any weapon which a monk can use, and the phrasing of that is important. It says you can use dexterity instead of strength, not you use or you must use. You can use, which means that all monks have the choice of whichever stat is better for them to use dexterity or strength. And that's also important for multi-classing sake, because that gives anyone with one level of monk the choice to use dexterity or strength for their punching and for monk weapons. And that is a huge amount of versatility for one level. Uh, sorry, uh, that was a bit much on that topic. Let me move on. Uh, also for martial arts, normally when you punch someone, it is just a flat one plus your strength, not even a die roll. So if you've got a 14 strength, which would give you a plus two, then it would be one plus two. So you'd do three damage every time, no dice roll for damage. Martial artists get to roll a d4 instead of one. So it'd be a d4 plus two. So that makes a martial artist, so a monk rather, very, very much more skilled in just terms of the sheer amount of damage that they can output by their punching. And in addition to that, as monks level up, that d4 grows. It becomes a d6 at level five, all the way up and up to a d10 by the time they get to level 17. So every single punch for a high-level monk can do a d10 
plus whatever their modifier is. And considering the fact that one of the big strengths of a monk is that they get a higher number of attacks, they just do d10 plus whatever, d10 plus whatever, d10 plus whatever, they get a lot of attacks in. They are not going to do as much damage in one hit as a barbarian, for example, but a monk just has volume of attacks. And another thing that they get at first level is that when they attack with an unarmed strike or a monk weapon, as a bonus action, they can make one unarmed strike. So even if you're wielding a weapon in one hand, like let's say you've just got a club, keep it simple. You smack them with your club, and then as a bonus action, you can do a second attack to punch them for that full you know, D4 plus two or whatever your modifier is. So at first level, they get a form of extra attack. So at, even at level one, they can get two attacks a turn if they choose to use their bonus action that way. And that is a massive advantage to the character. Uh, there actually is another uh, couple of sentences written after uh, the description of martial arts that is rather interesting. And I'm just going to read this just because it's somewhat applicable just to the world building side. Certain monasteries use specialized forms of monk weapons. For example, you might use a club that's two lengths of wood connected by a short chain called a nunchaku or a sickle with a shorter straighter blade called a kama. Whatever name you use for a monk weapon, you can use the game statistics provided for the weapon in the weapons section. So all of the weapon weebs like myself who just really like those types of weapons, it spells out right there that if you just want to use different style weapons, you can do that. So if you're someone who loves katanas, you can just give your monk, or well, maybe not a longsword per se, but if you have a longsword proficiency that you can get in a few different ways, then you can just say that your character is wielding a katana. And considering the fact that D&D has a lot of magic weapons that have some of the kind of movie style katana effects, that is absolutely something that can be compatible and a lot of fun. Anyway, sorry, that was a rant, but I love weapons. Uh, I have too many. All right, so at second level, you unlock your key. And even though you get more and more points as you level up, even immediately, without any kind of specialization yet, you get three abilities that all monks will have access to. For a key point, you can, instead of taking one attack as a bonus action, you can make two attacks as a bonus action, which means at level two, when you have two key points, you can attack as an action spend one key point, and then take two attacks as a bonus action. So a level two monk can get three attacks in a turn twice before they need to recharge. That is a lot of attacks on the ground, and you have all heard lots of my rants about action economy to know why that is valuable. But even besides the lot of attacks, they do also have other also really versatile and useful actions, which is that you could also choose to spend a key to dodge as a bonus action, which would grant all attacks against you disadvantage, and you'd get to make your deck saves with advantage. And the fact that you get a lot more flexibility with bonus actions as a monk is one of the strengths of the class. And to be fair, also one of the hard parts of playing a monk is just to decide how to use your bonus actions. Do you attack? Do you spend a key to attack twice? Do you dodge? And oh, sorry, you also get the third option, which can let you either 
disengage, or dash as a bonus action. So the fact that you could walk up, punch someone, disengage, and just walk away. Again, monks have a lot of flexibility. They are a class that is up close and personal, but the fact that they have the option to get out of there is a very good thing. All right. Also, when they are second level, they get unarmored movement, which increases their speed by 10 feet while not wearing armor or wielding a shield. And as they level up, that just keeps growing and growing till a high level monk has a fucking 30 feet bonus to their speed. So if you have a elf who is a high level monk, they will end up with a speed of 65 feet. So their movement is more than a goddamn warhorse. I move like the wind. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And not to mention, actually, if, speaking of the wind, uh, I mentioned that they had that power to disengage or dash as a bonus action. That is actually called Step of the Wind. So if you do dash and you are that in elf high level monk, then your movement, 65 feet. Then you can dash as a bonus action to do another 65 feet. Then you can use your action to take the dash action to move a third 65 fucking feet. That is moving like the wind. Uh, on the other so on the other hand, just a kind of fun tangent. If you have a, a dwarf with two levels of monk, then that would mean that their speed gets boosted from 25 to 35 feet. And then you have a dwarf that is as fleet of foot as an elf. And I always find that fucking funny. A dwarf monk is severely underrepresented. We need more dwarf monks out there. <laughs> Sorry, I, I'm a nerd. This is known. Uh, also, just one uh, other aspect of unarmored movement is that when you do get to ninth level, you also get that very much crouching tiger hidden dragon type ability to move along vertical surfaces and across liquids on your turn without falling during the move so as long as you keep moving then you can just run across water you could run just like through the branches of trees you could run up the wall and you just get that awesome action movie style movement ability the only flaw of it is that you must you can only stand on it during the move. So if you stop, you fall. So it's almost kind of wily coyote logic, but keep moving and you're fine. And technically it's across liquids and not water. So technically you could run across lava if you had to. You'd just take the fire damage from the heat, but you wouldn't have to worry about sinking at least. So that's something. I, I have to say that would be a pretty fucking dope moment. Especially imagine this where you have this moment where you're in like a hellish landscape and it's like okay look over there across the lake of lava you can see right in the center right there's this gem if we get the gem the the world ending bullshit will stop and it's like i've got this and it's just like and it just runs but just across can the get lava there in time yeah and then yeah and, just... and that creates a cool moment that'd be fucking cool i mean anyone just running across lava would be fucking cool it, the reason doesn't even matter like i would like, I could see a character doing that just to be able to tell that story for the rest of their life that I have run across fucking lava. Like, I mean, whatever. I've got a healer in the party. I can deal with it. I just hope nothing goes wrong. Anyway, uh, then as they level up, they get a lot more of those. Like, it, the monk class mechanically really is kind of built around, like, the action movie style of monk. So they, at third level, 
they can potentially catch an arrow fired at them. At fourth level, they can you know, use your reaction to reduce fall damage by five times their monk level. So, sorry, I am going to do a quick tangent on slow fall because that just is an ability that I love personally. I don't know why. I just always have an obsession with fall damage. But the fact that a monk... So you get it at fourth level, which means that they would reduce 20 fall damage automatically when they get that power. So when you fall, it's a d6 per 10 feet. So that means at fourth level, a monk could fall 30 feet and just be fine, even if it rolled max. And so they could potentially survive, depending on the roll, you know, 50, 60, 70 feet pretty easily. And that's just neat. Quick, yet another tangent on my tangent. There's actually a group in my world. Uh, I, the actual name of the group's in Elven, and I don't have it offhand, but their whole shtick is just like they jump off increasingly high things and just try to survive like the longest fall possible. And that's just what they do. So they just travel all over the world looking for tall things to jump off of. Anyway, that wasn't important. I just thought it was funny. So. At level 5, monks get extra attack. So much like fighters and barbarians, just as an action, you get to attack twice. Which would mean at a level 5 monk can attack twice as their action, spend a key point, and attack two more times with an unarmed strike. So at 5th level, a monk has 4 attacks a turn. So 5 actually gives them... What I would argue is one of the most powerful but underutilized abilities also. Stunning Strike. When you hit with a melee weapon attack, you can spend a key point to attempt a stunning strike. Target must succeed on a con save or be stunned until the end of your next turn. So a stunned creature can take no actions or reactions, automatically fail strength and dexterity saving throws, and all attacks against them have advantage. That is a stupidly powerful ability for one key point. And the fact that they're able to do that on each attack at fifth level means that if you're fighting one strong guy and have a monk in the party, that monk potentially has four chances on one turn to just pretty much knock them out of the fight for all intents and purposes. That is an insanely powerful ability. Anyway, moving along, uh, at 6th level, their speed goes farther up, and also, their unarmed strikes count as magical for the purpose of overcoming resistance and immunity to non-magical attacks and damage. That is another really underappreciated one, in that many, many, many monsters have resistance to damage from non-magical weapons. So, yeah, so that non so it's usually phrased uh, they have resistance to uh, bludgeoning piercing and slashing damage from non-magical attacks so the fact that a monk's fists count as magical is hugely valuable for all of those such creatures uh sorry i keep using fists and punch but part of the fun of a monk and martial arts in general is that it is not restricted just to your fists if you want to have like palm strikes and elbows and headbutts and knees and kicks have fucking fun with it because a character monk is far far more capable of such things than i myself am at adequately describing 
So at seventh level, you get to take no damage when you succeed on deck saves instead of taking half damage, and you only take half damage when you do well. You also get the ability to just end charm and frighten effects. Okay, 10th level, purity of body. This one deserves some mention because it is interesting. You become immune to disease and poison. Now, the phrasing of this has caused a lot of errors from dungeon masters and players alike because they don't realize something very, very important here. So it says disease and poison. It does not say the poisoned condition or poison damage. It just says poison. And this has been adjudicated by the writers. And what it actually is referring to is both. So at 10th level, a monk gets complete immunity to poison damage and the poisoned condition. So it doesn't matter if you're fighting, you know, giant spiders, snakes, drow, complete immunity to all disease, poison damage, and the poisoned condition. Ba, 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 ba. All right, moving along. Uh, at 13, they gain the ability to understand all spoken languages. At 14, they get proficiency in all saving throws. So normally they start out with just strength and dexterity saving throws when they, you know, at first level when you make a monk. But to get all saving throws is very interesting. Also because it does not say like any stat based saving. It just says all saving throws, which does mean that would actually let you add your proficiency bonus to death saving throws as well, because that is a saving throw. So that is a very nice little bonus for the survivability of a monk. Also, fun fact is that with that ability, you get a second thing of when you fail a saving throw, you can spend a key point to re-roll it and take the second result. And again, it just says a saving throw. So technically speaking, if a monk fails a deck save, you can spend a key point to get a re-roll of it, which is a real, real nice boon. Uh, at 15, they don't suffer the frailty of old age anymore, can't be aged magically, don't need food and water anymore. That's one that has some kind of odd implications for the world, in that that would mean that it is possible for magic to substitute for food and water. And that's just a kind of interesting thing to me as a DM to have in the back of my mind. Now, I know that 5e D&D especially really doesn't have a whole lot of high-level games in play, but I will say, I honestly think that the 18th level ability they have is ridiculously powerful and underappreciated. I know that there just aren't that many at that level, but wow. Empty body. You can spend four key points to become invisible for one minute. During that time, you also have resistance to all damage but force damage. Uh, also, you can spend 8 key to cast the Astral Projection spell without needing material components. When you do so, you can't take any other creatures with you. So the first one is the more important to me, in all honesty. It does not say you cast the Invisibility spell. It just says you become invisible for a minute. And that has incredible implications. Normally, the regular Invisibility spell has a weakness in that when you cast a spell or attack, the invisibility breaks. This doesn't. So for one minute, that would mean 10 rounds of combat. 
So if you have a high level party, then this monk would be able to become invisible for 10 turns. So they would just get advantage on all of their attacks. They would have resistance to all damage but force against them for that time. That is powerful. So I will say their last ability that all monks get at level 20, perfect self. When you roll initiative and have no key points remaining, you regain four. That's useful, but I will say that's possibly one of the weaker level 20 abilities. So monks, I will argue, are one of the classes that are best suited for multi-classing. So if you wanted to do an 18 level monk and then two levels of something else, just whatever is fun for you, whether you want to do something to try to get an armor proficiency by take a level or two of fighter, whether you want a little bit more magic use just for, you know, quality of life reasons, you could take a couple levels of wizard. So if you just take a few levels of monk and go kind of balance between monk and something else, there are a lot of fun and useful combinations. But uh, that is not for today's episode. So moving on. So those are all abilities that all monks get. When they get to third level, though, they get to pick their subclass. And the monk does have a good number of them. So they have the way of shadow, way of the drunken master, way of the four elements, way of the kensei, way of the long death, way of the open hand, and way of the sun soul. So way of shadow is a ninja. If you pick the way of shadow, your character is a ninja. For all intents and purposes, that's that's just what the class is. You can use your key to cast darkness, dark vision, pass without trace, or silence, and you gain the minor illusion cantrip. You also gain the ability to teleport through shadows. You can become invisible in shadows. Also, you gain the ability to use your reaction to make a melee attack. So if you like the whole sneaky side style of the game, the Way of Shadow is a lot of fun as a class to play. And the fact that that teleport ability I mentioned, just while you're in darkness, you can teleport as a bonus action, is really useful because that does not expend key. So having the ability to teleport without expending a resource is a very powerful ability. All right, so the Drunken Master is... Again, one of the very much classic movie tropes versions of a monk. The fact that it is just swinging out of the way of attacks as well as just gaining a whole bunch of redirects and attacks of your own in exchange. So when you first get it at third level, you gain proficiency in performance and brewer supplies, which is fun. But also at third level, you get a rather interesting ability as well. When you use the Flurry of Blows, which is the ability that you have to spend a key point for extra attacks as your bonus action, you also gain the benefit of Disengage, and your speed increases by a farther 10 feet until the end of the current turn. So the fact that you automatically get Disengage means as one key point, you'd get two attacks and a Disengage and a speed boost which is a lot of use for one bonus action. <laughs> uh, I love the names of some of the abilities, I have to say, especially for the Drunken Master. Just their regular ability is called Drunken Technique. Their next, their sixth level one is Tipsy Sway. 
it entertains me. They're 11th level and drunkard's so, luck. It's so elegant. Yeah, it's just, it's appropriately named, and I appreciate that. Just, I think that the, I just get the feel that the writers for Drunken Master had fun doing it, and I appreciate that. Anyway, uh, Tipsy Sway at 6th level. When you're prone, you can stand up with only 5 feet of movement instead of half your speed. Useful. Also, redirect attack. This is a very underappreciated ability, especially since it's only a 6th level character. When a creature misses you with a melee attack roll, you can spend a key point as a reaction to cause that attack to hit one creature of your choice other than the attacker that you can see within 5 feet of you. That is amazing. So even though it misses you, it does not say that they have to re-roll the attack against the target of your choice. It just says you cause the attack to hit one creature of your choice. So as your reaction, you can automatically make your enemy hit another of your enemies. Automatic attacks are extraordinarily valuable. Anyway, uh, moving on, Drunkard's Luck. It's just fun to say these ones. Uh, So this is a bit higher once at level 11. When you make an ability check, attack roll, or saving throw and have disadvantage, you can spend two key to cancel the disadvantage. And then at 17, intoxicated frenzy. (laughs) Okay, again, level 17, so real high up there, but kind of amazing. When you use Flurry of Blows, you can make up to three additional attacks with it, up to a total of five Flurry of Blows attacks, provided that each Flurry of Blows attacks a different creature this turn. So that is completely built for that situation where you're just surrounded by enemies. But that means that only for this one subclass, you have two attacks for your action, and then with that key point spent for Flurry of Blows, this class can have seven total attacks in a single turn. So except for a high-level fighter that also is using their action surge for more attacks, this is the second place for most possible attacks in a single turn. Next up, the Way of the Four Elements. This is more Avatar The Last Airbender. You're a martial artist that also has elemental abilities. So as you level up through the subclass, instead of having necessarily just abilities that you get at a specific level you just get options of more elemental abilities to pick through and some of them are honestly pretty cool you can gain the ability to cast fireball you can cast fly you can cast a gust of wind you can cast burning hands however there's one here that i do need to specifically mention because it is one of the known typos in the D&D books. So in the player's handbook, earliest printings, the ability Water Whip said that it was cast as a bonus action. However, it is supposed to be an action to cast that power. So that is something that has caused drama at a number of tables from people that have earlier printings of the books. So Water Whip lets you cast a very powerful bludgeoning attack of water at an enemy, but it is an action, not a bonus action. They have since uh, released that information in the errata, and all reprintings from when that got noticed have the correct 
printing, but early versions of the book do have that incorrectly. Anyway, the way of the Kensei is the weapon focus path of the monk. This is where instead of focusing on their abilities with their body, they are focused much more on their abilities with weapons. And what is nice about that is that normally monks don't get a lot of options of what to be proficient with. They only get simple weapons for the most part. A Kensei weapon, or a Kensei monk rather, lets you choose more weapons as you level up. That does have limitations, like you can't you know, have a great sword as a monk even with this. However, this is the class that if you want to be you know, the long sword or the uh, katana wielding martial arts user, this is the way to do it because you get to pick martial weapons to gain proficiency with them that count as a monk weapon for you, which phrasing means that you get to choose to use your strength or dexterity to wield them. So this is how you get to use a longsword proficiency and have your katana. And they just, as they level up, the whole build, I'm going to kind of just skip over most of the abilities. It just gives you more weapons damage. It gives you more uh, ability to parry. It gives you it gives you weapons-focused abilities to just further boost what you can do with the weapons that you choose to specialize in. Uh, the only one that I'm going to just focus on here is at 11th level, Sharpen the Blade. As a bonus action, you can expend up to three key points to grant one Kensei weapon you touch a bonus to its attack and damage rolls equal to the number of key you spent that lasts for one minute or until you use the feature again. Uh, this has no effect on a magic weapon that already has such a bonus. So that is fantastic. If you're in a low magic item setting, that power gives you the ability with three key points to have a plus three magic weapon, which even at that level would be extraordinarily uncommon even in most high magic worlds. So I will say that even though a lot of swords have so much popularity, both in fiction and in real life, that that subclass is probably an underappreciated one in D&D because so many people play the punchy monk that but the kensei really is a very good one all right next up the way of the long death so this is a subclass that is kind of that more darker almost necromantic angle to things but they do they're still a monk much, much more than actually a necromancer. So I'm not going to save this for a necromancy episode. I'll just go over this one here. So as soon as they choose it at level three, whenever you reduce a creature next to you to zero hit points, you gain temporary hit points equal to your wisdom modifier plus your monk level. So if you have a level 10 monk with a 16 wisdom, then that would be so 16 would give a plus three mod. So 13 temporary hit points. Actually, I just realized I completely overlooked something very important. Excuse me. So monks are a melee class, but they are one of the squishiest ones. Fighters, paladins have a d10 hit die. Barbarians have a d12. Monks have a d8. The same thing as a warlock, the same as a cleric. So they are a much, much squishier class 
So anything that gives temporary hit points is a very good thing. So moving on uh, through the way of the long death, they just get abilities to frighten creatures. But at 11th level, mastery of death. When you are reduced to zero hit points, you can expend one key, no action required, to have one hit point instead. So given that you have 11 key at 11th level, you can potentially just not fucking die 11 times. And then their last one at level 17, touch of the long death. As an action, you touch someone next to you and expend 1 to 10 key, and they have to make a con save or take 2d10 necrotic damage per key on a failed save or half on a successful one. This ability is another extremely, extremely powerful one, given the fact that with 10 key, that is 20 d10 necrotic damage which i'm reasonably confident to say is the most single target damage of any ability in the game all right so next up way of the open hand this is the classic specialization in punching if you want to be a character who hits and punches good this is the way to go because every time they use flurry of blows they get an extra thing automatically and you get to pick which one you can force them to fall prone if they fail a deck save. You can try to push them. You can just make them unable to take reactions. So no opportunity attacks against you. No reaction spells like shield. It's really, really good, even immediately at third level. Uh, sixth level, they get a uh, once per long rest heal ability. At 11th level, uh, they can have the effect of the sanctuary spell, which makes it so creatures need to make a wisdom saving throw just to be able to attack you until you make an attack. Okay, their last ability, Quivering Palm, their high level one at 17. This is one ability that I find to be weird and that a lot of other DMs also have issues with, which is when you hit a creature with an unarmed strike, you can spend three key points to start imperceptible vibrations, which last for a number of days equal to your monk level. They're harmless unless you use your action to end them. To do so, you and the target must be on the same plane of existence. When you use this action, they have to make a con save. If they fail, it's, they're automatically reduced to zero hit points. If they succeed... They take 10d10 necrotic damage. The only limit on this is that you can only have one creature under the effect at a time. And you can also choose to just not trigger it as well. So the fact that you have an auto kill ability, it is literally save or die. That is insane. Whether that is good insane or bad insane is a debatable thing. All right, uh, let's wrap up here. Last one. The Way of the Sun Soul. I mentioned earlier that I'm a fan of Dragon Ball Z. If you want to be that type of key user, that's Way of the Sun Soul. It basically gives you the power to shoot key. You can fire key blasts. You can fire a wave of fire like the Burning Hand spell. You can just fire an AoE attack that can either be no key or spending a few points to add damage to it. And then just you automatically can just at level 17, you basically go Super Saiyan. You have a magical aura that sheds light. And if someone hits you, you can just do automatic radiant damage to them. So 
I will say, uh, most of the abilities of that subclass, it is considered to be radiant damage most of the time. Uh, burning hands is fire, but everything else is radiant damage. So the fact that a monk gains access to holy damage for all intents and purposes, if you have an undead heavy game, immensely valuable. All right. Um, as usual, I have ranted on far, far longer than I probably ought to about monks, but honestly, they're a cool class that I feel to be underappreciated. They are a little bit squishy, but the flexibility of just being able to regain their key with a short rest is an awesome boon. So have some fun with that and have a good one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Riffs and Rules. Please leave us a review and give us five stars on iTunes. Also, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast. Tiers start as low as a dollar and even that much really helps us out. Supporters get benefits such as behind the scenes content, early access to episodes, access to the Patreon Discord where we will chat with the cast, and even a shout out on the show. Find us on social media, on Twitter at Riffwake Podcast, on Facebook as Riffwake, and on Reddit on the subreddit r slash Podcast. And now, send us an email, riffsandrules at gmail.com. That's riffsandrules at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.